Amen. Thank you, Pastor Scott. Good morning, One Hope Church. Good to see you guys. It's always such a privilege and an honor to be able to speak to you and to be seen by you and our One Hope family watching online, wherever you are. I am really, really excited about this series that we've been in, Defining Moments, and we are in week five. And I'm going to share with you guys a story that um, when Pastor Scott and I were, were talking, um, I actually couldn't remember, I couldn't recall in the Bible. Um, but before I get into that, Pastor Scott said something earlier um, at the beginning of this service. He said, I want these stories to, to wow us, to inspire and motivate us that we could experience Jesus in these ways. And I totally resonate with that. I believe that I believe that we can. I believe that Jesus is still working in our lives. And I'm, I'm just super, super excited about this. These, these stories have been incredible. And I think what's really, really cool about the stories is that, you know, when they didn't just, God didn't just finish moving when the book ended, right? He's still alive. He's still working in our lives. He's still showing up. He's still being incredible. And so I'm super, super excited about that. Um, Jesus, you know, he said to the disciples, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, right? The character of God is how Jesus showed us. He showed us in his actions and what he did, the character of God. And I believe in these stories, it's not our goal to try to have a story similar to what the people were experiencing in the Bible because these were unique individuals with their own lives, just like us. But I think our goal is to understand God, to understand what Jesus can mean for our lives. And that's why these stories are so powerful and so incredible. So as I was mentioning, Scott, we were talking about, okay, what are the different topics and stuff that we could discuss? And he brought up the story of Jesus and the Canaanite woman. And I was like, yeah, okay, I, I don't really know. And so he starts explaining, and then it comes back, okay, yeah, I remember there was a woman, and her daughter was possessed by a demon, but the full context of the story, I, I didn't have. And so I was like, man, I need to read this and, and dig into it. And so I did. And as soon as I did, I knew, yeah, I have to share the story because it is so incredible. And for those of you who are familiar with the story, if you read it at face value, you're kind of like, it paints a picture of Jesus that's just like, what, Jesus said that, he did that, like, what, you know? But as you dig into it, you realize the beauty of what's happening in the moment and this woman's faith and just all, it's so, so good. So I'm really excited to, to jump into that. Before we do, let's just pray. Ask God to just meet us here. Father, Lord, I thank you so much for this opportunity. And God, we know that you're moving, we know that you're speaking, and we just pray that, we would just be open, Lord, to receive, open to encounter you and to experience you in our lives and learn from what you are showing us in your son, Jesus. Amen. Okay, so like I said, uh, this story is, is really cool. And it actually happens in two, there's two different accounts of this story, one in the book of Matthew and one in the book of Mark. And I want to reference them both because they both give details that the other kind of doesn't. I want us to get a full picture of what's happening here. So leading up to the story, Jesus was on the coast of the Sea of Galilee, right? And he's in a city called Gennesaret. And he's just had this heated discussion with the Pharisees. And this is where the story begins. So I'm going to read from Matthew 
This is Matthew chapter 15, starting at verse 21. So it says, Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. And Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away for she keeps crying after us. And he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and kneeled before him, Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord, she says. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. Really cool. I want to continue to read in Mark so that we can get, again, the full context of what's happening. So Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it. Yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek born in Syrian Phoenician. She begged Jesus to drive out the demon of her daughter. Drive the demon out of her daughter. First, let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. So what's happening here, right? So let me just, let me just explain what's happening prior to this, right? So Jesus, he has just experienced a lot. We read in a few chapters before this moment, John the Baptist has just been beheaded. He has fed 5,000 people. He walks on water with Peter. He gets to Gennesaret, and there's people everywhere touching him, being healed. And then you have the Pharisees coming from Jerusalem that question Jesus about how, what does it mean to be clean and unclean, and why don't you wash your hands before you eat? And they have this huge exchange, and Jesus is just like, okay, I need some rest. And so he's, he goes out west to Tyre and Sidon. And this region is full of Canaanites, full of Gentile people, right? And we know in the Old Testament that there was a lot of rivalry between the Jews and the Canaanites. There is some deep, deep history there. And Jesus goes to this place, and this region is super popular, right? There's a lot of people happening there, and so Jesus, he tries to just escape. He just wants to have some peace. And it says that he couldn't keep his presence secret because he was too popular. And the Canaanite woman, she hears about Jesus. And so she goes to Jesus and she pleads with him, referring to him as Lord. She calls him Lord. And this is a big deal because this woman was a Greek. She was not a Jew. 
And she comes to this Jewish man, and she's calling him Lord, right? And he, she pleads, Jesus, my daughter, she's possessed by an evil spirit. And Jesus doesn't respond. He says nothing. So she goes to the disciples, and she's freaking out, help me, please, please. And the disciples are like, Jesus, can you help her, like send her away. She's crying after us. She's relentless, you know, and Jesus replies, and he says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Now, this is a big statement, because God made a promise to Abraham, the father of the Israelites, the Jews, way back in Genesis, something very specific about his descendants. And I want to read this. This is Genesis 22, 17 through 18. God says, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashores. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Abraham's offspring being the Israelites, the Jews, of which Jesus was a descendant of, King David, the line of Judah, right? The Jews were God's chosen people whom he made the first covenant law with. And we read that they broke the law and they kind of failed. Actually, they really failed. And but we see in the book of Zechariah that God said that he would redeem the house of Judah, that he would save the house of Joseph, the Jewish nation. And the Jews understood this to be done through the prophesied Messiah. And this is what Jesus was saying he was doing here. And this is emphasized in Luke's account, chapter 24, 47. And the repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name, talking about Jesus to all nations beginning at Jerusalem with the Jews. And then Paul breaks this down further in his letter to the Romans, this is Romans 1:16. He says, "For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first the Jews, then the Gentiles." So we have to understand that this was the order that God wanted to redeem humanity. This was his plan, and Jesus was being obedient to his father, right? And so the woman, she comes and she's asked, this Canaanite woman, help me, Jesus, please save me. She's asking for blessings. She's asking for God's favor. And Jesus doesn't say anything. So she goes on, she freaks out to the disciples, and they ask Jesus if he can do something, and he makes this statement. Now, I believe that Jesus said this because he wanted the disciples to hear as well as the woman because of what's coming next. So the Canaanite woman continues to plead. She humbles herself even more. So she goes around the disciples, drops at Jesus' feet, and just crying out to him, Lord, help me, please, desperately. And then Jesus responds with this controversial statement. It is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Now, when you're reading this at face value, most people see this as Jesus referring to this lady as a dog. And I definitely read it like that when I first read this story. But we have to recognize the context and the time period and what Jesus was trying to say in this statement. This is, 
He was using a metaphor to demonstrate order, not disrespect. In fact, the word dog that he used is to describe like a puppy or like a family pet, you know, someone that you love, not some savage dog that's just roaming the streets eating and just being, you know, savage. He wasn't talking about that. If you can imagine, let's say you're like, you know, you're at home, you have your family, they're all sitting at the table, your children, everybody's there, right? And you have just made this meal, it smells good, everybody's excited, you got your pet, you know, cowboy and, you know, beanie, whatever your dog's names are, and they're just running around, everybody's excited. You have this food, you go to take it out, you see your family there, they're sitting at the table, everybody's excited, and instead of serving the food to your children, you lean over to cowboy and beanie and and feed them the food, and they're eating, they're eating and then you turn it over and give it to your children, right? No, nobody does that, right? That, that's not the way we do this. And she agrees with what Jesus is saying. She says, even, well, she brings out this point, and this is what's really cool. She says, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table, indicating that, yes, she knows her place. She knows that she's not a Jew, but she understands if the children are going to eat, then I'm going to eat, right? The dogs are just as excited as the children because, yeah, like, oh, we're going to sit around the table and I'm going to get the crumbs. And you know, some of the kids are going to pass the dog the mashed potatoes and, you know, the meat and stuff, and they're going to eat, right? And I think what's really cool about this is that Matthew places this story, this encounter with Jesus, that follows the feeding of the 5,000, but it precedes the feeding of the 4,000. And we know in both of those stories, God brings an abundance of bread to feed all those people, and then we see that there is a ton left over, right? There's plenty left over. I don't think it was a coincidence that Matthew places this story right here. I believe that was a prompting of the Holy Spirit. So the woman is basically saying, yeah, the children are going to eat, therefore we're going to eat. First the Jews, then the Gentiles. This is happening. The work is being done, Lord. And Jesus is moved by this woman's faith so much so that he answers her requests and heals her daughter. This is an incredible story of faith. Now, there's a few things I want to recognize in addition to the woman's faith. So she was pleading on behalf of her daughter, someone else, right? She was selflessly concerned with another. And this mirrors the heart of God. It is in God's nature to respond to this kind of love as we understand him. It's a reflection of who he is. We created in his image, bearing his image, right? Bringing forth God's will on earth. And he responds to this, and this woman is demonstrating this by her daughter. She's not asking for something selfish. She is pleading for someone else, her daughter. And this makes me think about two stories in the Old Testament, the story of Abraham when he's pleading on behalf of the unrighteous when God decides that he's going to destroy 
the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, and also Moses when he pleads on behalf of Israel when they decide to build a golden calf. And I don't want to read both of these stories because they're super long, but I do want to summarize so that we can see what's happening here. So, and this, these stories, the story of Abraham takes place in Genesis 18, but Abraham, God has just decided, okay, I'm going to destroy these cities. I mean, if you're familiar with this, you know what's going on. He says, I'm going to destroy these cities. There's wickedness happening in here. And I'm going to destroy it. Abraham remembers that his nephew Lot is in the city. And so he goes to God and he says, Lord, will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike? Far be it from you. Will not the judge of the earth do what is right? Will you not be who you are, righteous, just, loving, considerate? And God says, yes, I will spare them. And then we know that he continues to list down, what about 40, what about 30, 20, 20? And God's like, yes, yes, yes. It's really incredible. And then the story of Moses, right? So the Israelites, they had just been saved from Egypt. They have the Ten Commandments, and Moses is on the mountain meeting with God, and they're waiting for him to get back, lose patience, and they go to his brother Aaron, and they're like, can you build us? We need a God. Can you, can you make us a God? And he's like, yeah, give me your earrings. And so they take all the jewelry, and they create this golden calf, right? And God is furious because they are breaking the first commandment that he just gave them. Do not worship any other God but me. I am the Lord your God. And he is angry. And he tells Moses, leave me alone, that my anger may burn against them. And he may destroy them all. And Moses, I mean, can you imagine hearing that from God? Like, leave me alone, you know. And Moses is like, why would you destroy the people you just saved so that people would say it was evil intent that you brought them out of Egypt just to, to kill them? Relent. Don't do this. You made a promise to the patriarchs, and God did. We have to understand, God knows everything, right? He is not surprised by this. This was not about God. This was the testing of the faith of Abraham, the testing of the faith of Moses, because he knew that these were going to be the patriots. These were going to be the men that were going to be the fathers of the nation that I'm going to birth my Savior. Who are you? This is what God was trying to bring out of them, mirroring his image, right? This was not about God. This was about them, us. God is not some emotionalist rule follow. You know, he is love. Yes, righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. God is a God of order. He is holy. He is set apart. He's also merciful. He's compassionate and loving. And I believe that the Canaanite woman appealed to this aspect of God's heart by pleading on behalf of her daughter, this selfless act, God and his daughter that he created, seeing the image. 
There's something else to note here, too. This woman was honored by her persistence. She had enough faith to continue to press in, even though she wasn't getting what she was asking for the first time right away. And note that Jesus never said no. He never said no. He was silent, and then he gave her opposition. He was testing her faith, and she wanted so badly. She kept pressing in, and eventually she received what she desired. There's a parable in Luke chapter 18 of the persistent widow. And this woman, she goes to a judge, and she continues to ask for justice. And he ignores her at first, but then eventually she gets what she desires. He gives her justice because she didn't let up. She was persistent. She kept pushing in. And I believe that God wants us to understand something about this Acts. There's something about persistence, not surrendering, but pressing in that he wants us to see. We also must acknowledge that she, she recognized Jesus as Lord, right? She, she had just heard of him, and she goes to him, and she calls him Lord, Son of David, bowing at his feet, and this got his attention. We understand from reading the first commandment that God does not want us to worship any other gods, right? My anger burn against them. But this woman, she, she was a Greek. She was a Greek woman, and we understand Greek, you know, mythology and their gods and their goddesses, and this is who these people identify themselves as, our gods and the god of love and the goddess, you know. But she was calling him Lord. And he recognized that and responded to that. When we acknowledge God and we worship and demonstrate our love by obeying his commandments, he responds. This woman, totally not a part of what's happening, and yet she turns to him and says, Lord, son of David. I believe this is a painting of the gospel, right? People worshiping their gods, creating their own identities, and Jesus showing up, and people having the faith to turn to him and say, you're Lord, you are God. I believe this was happening in this moment. I think it's interesting because when he made that comment, I was sent only here to the lost sheep, to the disciples. The disciples, they were like, our Messiah is here for us. He's going to save us and he, we're going to be redeemed, right? And, and I believe Jesus was saying this so that they could experience this moment of this woman who was a Canaanite woman coming and asking for favor from God and receiving it. What, is that, what did that say to the, the, the Jews? They were like, what? You know, this is, this is a huge, huge moment. It's incredible because, you know, like the Old Testament, God, you know, we read back then that he, he commanded and demanded that the people would offer an animal sacrifice, a burnt offering for the atonement of sin. 
And when they obeyed this, it was described as this pleasing sin, this aroma to God. I just think that's so beautiful. You know, I'm, I have the privilege of living with um, uh, my host family, John and Annette Cook, and they love celebrating birthdays and holidays. It's a big deal in their family. And that usually looks like there's going to be a meal, and John's going to go out, and he's going to grill something. It's probably some venison or something that he hunted because he's just really cool like that. And I love going out. It never gets old to just smell the sense of, oh, my gosh, that smells so good, you know, and you're hungry, and it's just wafting. Or, like, when you walk outside, I don't know if you guys, I know you've experienced this. You walk outside of a building, and you're next to a restaurant or something, you smell what's happening in the kitchen. It's like, mmm, honey, when you go, you know, or like the bread factory, just what it does to you. I picture this when I, when I picture what the Old Testament was saying about how the atonement for sin, it was, it was like a pleasing scent to God's aroma. Like, yeah, they're willing to obey my commands. They are reflecting my image. They are obeying me. And he, it was, brings out this love from him. And it's just a beautiful, beautiful picture. In the book of Revelation, chapter 8, it describes the prayers of the saints and the incense rising up to God's throne and from the hands of an angel, and he responds in this beautiful imagery of God's character and our relationship to him, our faith, and how it prompts him, you know, our prayers and our pleas, and God responds to that. It's beautiful. We have a father in the Lord that we serve, our God. He's not some dictator that's, I have these rules and we're his obedient soldiers. Yes, Lord, you know, this is a a relationship. There's this scene from the show called The Chosen. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It's incredible. And I want to share, share a scene with you. This is the wedding scene where we understand Jesus performs his first miracle, which is turning water into wine. And they show this exchange that's happening with Jesus and his mother, Mary, and it's really, really beautiful, and I think it's going to kind of bring to light what I'm talking about. So let's take a look at this. (laughs) Oh, Andrew, do you deny it? I've never seen a donkey walking on hot coals. Actually, that would be a terrible thing to behold. My son. Ah, Andrew, you see, even my own mother will join us in the Song of Miriam. They've run out of wine. But it's only the first day? Yes, and it's all gone. Not a drop left. Why are you telling me this? We can't let the celebration end like this. And Etcher's family humiliated. Boys. Go join the others. I'll be right there. Mm. Mother, my time has not yet come. If not now, when?
तुम्हारे वही दर्जी beautiful my time has not yet come and yet she pleads with him and he responds i was sent only to the lost tribe of israel and she pleads with him he responds what does god want us to understand about him he is just and orderly he is also a loving father he cares about us it's beautiful so we've we've broken all this down right what can we receive what can we learn and apply about this this story this message in our lives i think we have to recognize that our prayers have power and our faith matters we need to pray and believe that God wants and desires to hear from us and he will respond. And I don't want to paint this picture that, you know, if you just pray, 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 and you don't give up, God will give you the desires of your heart. We know that's not true. It's not some magic formula. This is a relationship. I remember Scott saying back during the Wake Up series, about us addressing prayer as consistent prayers looking for relationship with Jesus and not inconsistent prayers looking for results from Jesus. Now, with that being said, God does respond to the asking of his children. He's a father. He will. But sometimes our prayers won't be answered the way that we want them to. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't exercise our faith in prayer and trust God. He sees the bigger picture. I remember James using this analogy when they were in Disney World, and, you know, he was talking about how there was a huge crowd, and he was walking with his daughter, and he's taller than her, and so he can see over her, and he takes his hand, and he guides her because she's, she's shorter. She can't see what's ahead of her, but he can, and I just think that's a beautiful image because God sees the full picture. I mean, most of you, a lot of you in here are parents, right? And you know when your children, they come and they ask you for things. If they are asking for things, you know it's for their good and for their best interests. You want to give them those things, right? You love them. You love your children. And sometimes when they ask you for things, you may have the wisdom and you know, oh, this isn't good for you right now. or I don't need to give you this. And that doesn't mean that you don't love them or that they shouldn't come and ask you for things. You want to hear the desires of your children. You want them to ask you for things. You want to know. Some of you probably don't. Some of you probably are like, stop asking me for things all the time to your kids. But, you know, and then they become teenagers and then they're independent and they don't ask you for anything. You're like, man, I remember when, you know, we used to talk to each other, you know. Life lessons, right? God can teach us. God doesn't want us to be like that. He wants us to come to him. It's a relationship. And lastly, I, I believe that the story can teach us and help us understand what qualifies us and to exercise our faith. You know, in the world, 
there are things that qualify you for certain privileges and there's things that disqualify you from certain privileges. If you have, you know, a high school diploma or maybe an undergrad, you're not gonna be a surgeon, right? You're not qualified for that privilege. Maybe it's your experience, what you experience, maybe qualifies you for something. If you've been doing something for a long time or operating your gifting for a long time, that qualifies you for certain privileges. Or who you know, maybe who you associate yourself with, maybe that qualifies you for certain privileges or disqualifies you for certain privileges depending on who they are. Our demographics, you know, our age, these things. But with God, there's only one qualification that allows us to be in relationship with him. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Romans 10.9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Faith, belief. This woman knew, the Canaanite woman, she knew she had no right to approach Jesus. No right. She wasn't a Jew. She, she knew all the things that Jesus was saying was true. She had all the excuses in the world, but she did not give up because her faith, her faith was stronger than her disqualification, which is ultimately what made her qualified. Her faith. We have the same opportunity she does, even more so because we are recipients of the new covenant. If you're a believer, you have been grafted in, right? Because of the finished work on the cross. That's what qualifies us, our belief, our faith, trusting Jesus. If you're not a believer, yes, that does mean that you're on the outside. But it doesn't mean that you're disqualified from being grafted in. Jesus made that gift available for, for everybody, not just the Jews, but the Gentiles too, us. Anyone who calls in the name of the Lord shall be saved is a free gift. All we have to do is receive it. I mentioned earlier that God responds to our pleas, right? This aroma, this sin, and it's, he responds out of that. I believe that it was revealed in this story that faith prompts God to respond. And when we exercise our faith, he responds. Those of you who have faith, what are you trusting God for? The Bible is not just some piece of history that doesn't mean anything anymore. God is still very much alive. He's moving. He's moving in our world, in our nation, in our lives. What is it that you are trusting God? What are your prayers? Do you believe that God hears you, that he wants to hear? What is God calling you to do? What is he asking you to do in your life? Do you have faith to trust him, to surrender that? Do you believe that God is for you? Do you believe that God is still moving, that he still wants to move in your life? 
Have you been praying about something over and over and over and not getting an answer? God loves that. He wants us to press in. Lord, I trust you. I trust you. He responds. Our faith means something. Exercising our faith means something. God gave us physical bodies to express what happens inside of us, what we believe out through worship, through acts, through speaking kind words, through helping people, through reflecting his image. This is what we're created to do. And we also get to respond to God and his goodness and what we understand and believe about him in worship. And church, we're going to take this moment to worship God. And I just want to, I just want to offer you this opportunity to take whatever it is that you're trusting God with, whatever you're leaning on, whatever you believe about him inside, what you've seen about him, how he's moved in your life, and respond out of worship to him. And let this be a pleasing aroma to his nostrils and let God respond to us, this relationship. Will you stand with me? Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the moments. We thank you, Lord, for what you teach us, for how you demonstrate your character to us through these stories, through what we encounter through the life of Jesus, our Lord. Father, we know that you are good and you are for us. We have seen you move. We adore you, Lord. God, thank you that we have the ability to respond to what we know about you with these bodies that you have given us to bring forth your will into the world, to reflect you, we thank you that you care and you hear our prayers and you want to know what's happening. You want us to come to you. You're a loving father. God, may with all this knowledge we respond to you. May it stir something in us to celebrate you because you are worthy. You're good. You're for us. You're our father. May you be pleased, Lord, with our worship today. May you respond with our sacrifice of worship today. In Jesus' name, amen.